Welcome to the Lifeway Student Ministry Podcast. I'm Ben Trueblood alongside John Paul Basham. Yo. We are excited to be here with you for another episode of the podcast. We are so grateful to be able to serve you, student ministry people, with content about student ministry. Because it wouldn't make sense if we did non-student ministry content on the Lifeway Student Ministry (laughs) Podcast. Though sometimes we do drift and wander, which is... It's, it's part of the appeal, right? It's for the funds. Yes, exactly. If you haven't left a rating and review, we would love for you to do that. It helps other people find the podcast when they search for it in their platform of choice. So that would be great if you could do that. And don't leave a rating and review based on this specific introduction. Leave a rating and review based on the podcast as a whole, because we got a great one for you today. Okay. Uh, I am... Super excited for our guest today. All right. Uh, Let me introduce, let me give some facts about our guest, and then we're going to jump right into conversation here, and and I'll let LeVar uh, continue to introduce himself and some of the more personal things. We'll talk about the student ministry that he's leading and all that. So our guest today, Minister LeVar Jones. Yeah. We're excited to have you, LeVar. Thank you for being here, buddy. Glad to be here with you guys. So LeVar, uh, man, I, I met LeVar a few weeks ago, uh, man, it may, COVID timing, it may have been like a month and a half ago, I Think so. Uh, yeah. but the COVID timing, right? So LeVar is a, weeks, two days. <laughs> that's yeah. exactly right. It's Friday every day. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so for the past 21 years, uh, LeVar has been involved in student ministry in some shape or capacity. And one of the things that I'm so excited about to talk about student ministry with LeVar today is because he does have a broad range of experience in working with teenagers. So currently serves as the minister of youth and young adults at the New Macedonia Baptist Church in Southeast Washington, D.C. All right. So under the leadership there of senior pastor Patrick J. Walker. So that's, that's what LeVar is doing right now in this moment. But also, and when you and I met, I thought this was a really fascinating uh, piece of your student ministry story, is that you served uh, for a lot of years as the teen services director for a boys and girls club of Southeast Washington, D.C. So still ministering to to teenagers and still, uh, you know, in deep in the trenches with families but from a little bit of a different perspective. So uh, that's LeVar, um, advocate for young people uh, and their families, youth work. He's a mentor to other youth pastors and youth ministers across the country uh, and abroad. Um, travel, does ministry in South America, the Philippines, and you get around doing ministry. <laughs> Been around the block for a couple of times. I know if, if they could see my baby face, they wouldn't believe it. <laughs> That's right. Man, I'd, let's start off with just uh, some of the things about th- how you've come up in student ministry. Um, I would love to hear you talk about what, uh, what working in the Boys and Girls Club environment is like versus working in uh, church student ministry there at New Macedonia and talk through kind of your passions there with, with where you are. Definitely, definitely. Well, one, I'm definitely glad to join you guys. Uh, honored to lend my voice and my one and a half cents to the conversation. Um, been a huge fan of LifeWay for a long time, so definitely uh, glad to be here and um, just talk about the journey and how we develop ourselves. So, I mean, I, I've often told people I'll probably be 90 years old, still running around 
behind teenagers, asking them to sign waivers and setting up lock-ins, et cetera. Um, I really- Asking them to sign waivers, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Gotta get the waiver, gotta get the waiver. I've tried to do other things in my life and have been incredibly bored, frustrated. Mm. And uh, I realized and recognized that my call to serve young people um, from a kingdom perspective is, is, doesn't have walls, it doesn't have borders. And so even when, you know, I, I started in ministry young, I was 14 when I first uh, stood behind the big podium at the church and, and all the people were clapping and all that other stuff and acknowledged the call for ministry. At that point, just thought it was about the preaching, but I stumbled into youth ministry, youth work. Uh, I went away for college my first year, because that's what you do. That's what good little Baptist preacher boy <laughs> graduate high school, you go to the Baptist college to go and get ready for ministry, except I was not mentally, emotionally prepared to leave home. I was Mm -hmm. not sheltered as a kid, but I just wasn't ready for the experience. And so I I did come back home after my first semester just to regroup and reset and ended up working at my old elementary school. And in so doing, working in the office, I was sitting where the kids who would get put out of class for behavioral issues had to come past my desk. And so naturally these conversations started. Those conversations started, uh, started and then I would end up going upstairs to check on those kids in those classrooms. So much so I would get called back to the office to do my job that I was actually getting paid for. Uh, and I got frustrated. I said, no, that's not what I want to do. This, there's something about having connection with young people um, that are finding themselves in some challenging moments that got to just, you know, need an ear, need somebody to help them figure it out. And it was at that point that I really knew, you know, where the call was. And so I served in church-based youth ministry a couple years after that and, you know, found myself uh, working in the Boys and Girls Club, what felt like years later. And it was such a natural fit because... Mm-hmm. I, my heart was to just serve young people. And it, and it didn't matter where. It didn't matter we were in the walls of the church. It didn't matter if the purpose was to win their soul to Jesus. It didn't matter if it was to have choir rehearsal. Because that same intentionality and heart, you could flip that switch and use it to teach kids STEM activities in a boys and girls club after school because it's still about the connection. Uh, it's still about the heart. It's still about the love uh, that you share. And, you know, so it, just, it was always a natural fit to do both. It didn't matter where, uh, where it was. But I learned so much. I think I learned, and I may get in trouble, I think I learned more about ministry at the Boys and Girls Club than mm-hmm. I did any church I've ever served in. Wow. I hope my pastor's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> we won't tell him. We won't tell him. Man, yeah, I, mean, I think... That's, that's real, you know. Yeah, I think any, I love the boys and girls club when uh, we used to serve a boys and girls club that was really close to our church in Hampton, Virginia. And I completely understand what you mean. Just being able to be in there with those kids that were so often, there was a difference between the church kids. Well, at least most of our church kids and the kids were at the boys and girls club, the kids at the boys and girls club, were hungry for a connection they were hungry for it and they took the word out of my mouth yeah they didn't always know how to express that hunger and sometimes it came out looking like they hate me (laughs) you know (laughs) but you could see it all over them they were hungry for something more than what they had yeah yeah 
And a lot of times the church kids, they, you know, they had their church face on, you know? And so it's like, no, I've got all my ducks in a row. I've got everything taken care of. Now that wasn't every kid that we had, but it was such a clear difference for us too, between what it felt like to do ministry at Boys and Girls Club and what it felt like to do ministry at the church. They're just there wasn't a facade that you had to break through. It was just, you, you walk in there and you just, it's like you said, it's all about the relationship. And it felt like the relationship came so much faster yeah. in the yard behind the boys and girls club. I think, I think you said though, there, 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 there's a hunger that's there, but I mean, isn't, isn't that just like Jesus? That's what, that's what Jesus did. Jesus did not. And again, and I, this is, you tap into this, conversation I've had, because I'm coming up on one year at serving at uh, New Mass. And so, you know, after having been out of the church-based youth ministry space for such a long time, it's been interesting. And then on top of that, you know, I started in August of last year. And so then, you know, I've got from August to March, and then March, the world shuts down and turns off. And so even doing still somewhat in the honeymoon stage with those young people that I'm serving now, it, it just, it's been an interesting year. But, you know, Jesus did ministry with the messy, the, the lost, the, the cast out. And there's something about going into a space like that where there is no facade. And I mean, I've seen it. I, I was a kid that grew up in the church. I, I revolted a lot and I was never, I got in trouble a lot because I was not the conformist uh, when I grew up in, but I grew up in the church. So I understood, I understood those facades and those, you know, those masks that we put on when you've had that experience. And so leaving this really raw atmosphere at the Boys and Girls Club and coming back to where I'm now confronted with those masks again, definitely has challenged me to think differently uh, but again, my kids at the club taught me, I, I can't even begin to, to describe the lessons that they taught me about compassion, um, about grace and mercy, about um, patience, about mm. love, you know, those, those lessons that, and again, I, I look at, you know, what it must have been like for Jesus to go get disciples who were, you know, just doing their own thing. They were down, they weren't in the temple. They were just out doing their own thing, you know, to be in that sort of, of space. And that's, that's helped me grow, I think, more than anything in my life, um, those seven years. And it's funny, there was seven, seven number of completion. And they, you know, they gave me grace to, to transition out, um, not always easily, but they gave me grace uh, to transition out. What was cool was that some of the uh, kids from the club actually joined uh, the church as well. Mm, uh, and a couple cool. of them, first time, you know, conversions to Christ. And so watching that and having those shared experiences, you know, I think helped to make the transition easier for me from, you know, from the club back into, uh, back into the church. Yeah, man. Uh, you mentioned those, some of the things that helped you grow and that kind of leads us and points us to the meat of the podcast today and talking about things that you do, uh, practices that you have in your life to, uh, continue growing and self uh, developing yourself as a leader and as a, as a student pastor. Um, but before we take another step in that direction, uh, New Macedonia, where you're serving now and the boys and girls club, um, are those in the community that you grew up? So is this like, you're, you're now serving in the same place that, that you came up as a kid. So not, not, um, 
I, I didn't grow up in Southeast. I grew up here in the DC area. Um, so I was close enough to this community to understand. But, you know, where I served at the club and where New Mass is now, I mean, these are, are, are considered inner city. So by no means, let me, let me be clear, by no means that I have an inner city upbringing. Um, and I, I served for a, a, a few years in Baltimore, Maryland as well, which is, you know, not too far from DC. And mm-hmm. I served at a, a nonprofit that was started by an old Jesuit priest, Father Tom from Pasta. Um, oh, wow. Who's gone on uh, to be uh, with God now. Uh, but Father Tom asked me once, he said, man, you know, this must be great. You're coming back into the community, you know, just like you lived in. I said, no, I didn't have that. I didn't have that upbringing. But I think a part of our development is you got to learn how to adapt in your space um, so that you uh, can function and not only function, but that you can thrive in that space. So I was actually honored that he thought that I, you know, encapsulated something that said, you know, I'm from here. Because if he saw that, then those, those young people that I served as well could see that. So, you know, the kids here in Southeast, they teach me more sometimes, I think, than I teach them because they show up. Great, amazing movie, Hardball, Keanu Reeves. He steps into this inner city baseball team and he says to them, I'm blown away by your ability to show up. I, that line has always stuck with me mm. because I serve young people who have experiences that I don't have. I didn't grow up wondering if I could get from home to school and not be shot. I didn't grow up with just a single parent in the home. I didn't grow up surrounded by drugs, surrounded by poverty. And that's what so many of our young people here in Southeast are faced with. And so their ability to show up teaches me, again, about grace and compassion and love and mercy. And I think, John, to your point, it, it shows why they, why, why they are so hungry because they see something, you know, hopefully they see something of what I bring that's different than what they see around me. Man, I think that is, in terms of how we look at developing ourselves, especially if you're new to a community, because they're, you know, youth pastors, especially starting out new to a place, new to a community, really learning the culture of where you are and adapting ministry practices. And like you said, taking on enough of that area to where people say, oh yeah, they're from here. Like they're one of us, I think is really, really important. I've intentionally made the decision, you know, this is, everybody has their own choices. I've chosen to live in the communities that I've served. When I was in Baltimore, I moved into the inner city community where I served here in Southeast. When I worked at the club, I moved into the community that I served. It came at a cost. I had my apartment broken into twice. Uh, so I moved, made the decision to move just right outside of the community. But I'll tell you just quick, quick funny thing. When I first started the Boys and Girls Club, uh, our director knew that I was not from this part of the community. And so, you know, he's giving me tips, be careful, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, okay, cool. So one, one night, one of our kids didn't get picked up and he was going to walk home. He had to walk through a community that had a beef with his community. He had to walk through that community to get to his. I said, well, we're not going to have you walk by yourself. I'm going to walk. And the director was like, yeah, let's not do that because it's not, it's not safe for you me talking to me, you know, because you're not, you're not from here. I said, well, I'm going to make sure that he gets home okay. So in my bright orange Boys and Girls Club t-shirt, khakis, and bright orange Converse Chuck Taylors, I proceeded to walk this young man home. And I, you know, I, I say that because I always, I always think about 
what that night was like, feeling the energy of that community, feeling, you know, you can literally feel, if you're in a space and you invest in the space, you can literally feel the pain that's in the community if you stand in it long enough. You could literally, you know, when, when, um, when God tells uh, uh, Cain, his brother's blood is crying out from the ground, like, I get that. I understand what that means to stand in a community full of hurt and literally hear it and feel it. Um, and so I think back to moments like that, that really, again, you know, are, are great teachers for anybody that's looking to impact the community. You've got to invest in, in you got to invest yourself in that culture so that you can feel it. If you can't, if I can't feel it, then I'm not going to be able to feel it when, you know, when my kids need me to. Mm. I think there is so much power behind the way that you just communicated that too, because what you and there may have been an element of as you're as you're being warned not to walk through that community you know you may have had an element of fear and that's okay but interpreting what that fear comes from the way that you did is so healthy to stand in that community and understand well why would someone tell me that i should be scared here that's because there are people that have been hurt here and, and not in the way that that's because people like me have walked through here and been hurt. It's because the people that are living here are living in hurt. And so to stand there in that posture is to stand in a place of compassion for the people that God has called you to serve in that community. Hmm. Not, not a place of self-preservation for who you are as a stranger being called to a place. And I think those are those two very different postures set you up to do ministry from completely different ends of the spectrum uh, of, of ministry and what that can look like. I love the way that you said that. And I think it speaks to students before, before my words ever get to them, you know, Mm -hmm. And to, to add a, a funny cherry on the top of that, you can't tell from where I'm sitting right now, but I'm five foot two and a quarter. Okay. And a quarter. You got to take and a quarter in there as well. That's right. Take quarter. that quarter, man. <laughs> and so even, you know, to stand in that space and you know, people are kind of looking like, you know, who's this guy? Who's the little guy? And of course, there's some credence from, you know, the Knuckles, the Boys and Girls Club logo that's on my shirt, but still, yeah. you know, not knowing who this is and who it, who is this that has the audacity to come and stand in the midst of our pain? Who is this who has the audacity to come and stand in the midst of our hurt where we try to block people out from coming into this space because we don't know what to do with it? Who is this that dares to come? And, and that has to be us. We have to be the ones who dare to go into hurtful places, dark places, painful mm. places, and stand and having done all to stand, still stand and stand in the love and the power of the gospel and know that, you know, whatever happens, happens. But if we're going to, if we're going to do it, then we got to be called, we got to be, we got to be all in. We got to be all in. Man, that's so good. And I think that shows like the true care. Like I care about you as people and as a person and not, I care because I'm a pastor or I care because I'm a mentor. That's what your articulation of that is what takes it to the next level and says, you're a person, I care about you. And so I'm going to stand. Well, you said the phrase earlier, I'm going to show up here and I'm going to show up in the middle of 
of the mess. Man, that's good stuff. I love it. Yeah. Hey, let's. Uh, I want to. I want to keep rolling here, uh, and I, I want to talk uh, about some of the things that you do. We've already talked about some of them about continued development and how and how you're growing. What are some other things that you've put into practice? Uh, and that you've talked with other people. I mean, you, you're, you're in a, a situation where you're not just mentor to a lot of teenagers, but mentor to a lot of student pastors as well. So as you're doing that, and as you're thinking about developing yourself, what are some practices that you've put into place to make sure you continue growing? Yeah, well, I think one that's, one that's uh, crucial is networking and connecting with, with others that are in this space. Um, and I, you know, I know there's always a lot of talk about networking, the power of networking There's courses that people pay ridiculous amounts of money for, uh, to learn the art of networking. Um, and, it, and we can't under underscore it enough. I think it's role in student ministry and in the kingdom. And so throughout the years, I make sure to surround myself with other people doing this work, um, particularly those who bring skill sets that I don't have. Um, and to make sure that it's not just LeVar's ideas, LeVar's thoughts, LeVar's skills that, you know, produce the impact. I, I think about the movie Taken, you know, and, and Liam Neeson was like this one man army all by himself. <laughs> That's right. You know, too often, if you approach student ministry or ministry in general with that idea, I'm going to do it all by myself you're not gonna be successful, you're not gonna have longevity, uh, you're not going to really thrive. You may survive, but you're not gonna really thrive in that space. And so what's helped me is to make sure that I'm surrounded by people who you know, do this work, who I don't have to explain my heart to it about. I don't have to like go through the whole pitch. They can step in and, yep, I got it, and I can bring this, or I know this, or I can connect you with this, or I can offer this. And even when I left the Boys and Girls Club and came back into church-based student ministry, and I say church-based student ministry because my time at the club was student ministry. You know, I, I ran back to creating a network and looking at a network that was already in existence here in DC and figuring out how can I strengthen it? Who can I connect with? Who's doing what? Who's, who's mastering this? Who knows how to do social media? It, the social media wasn't a part of student ministry the last time I was in it. Uh, so definitely connecting with people um, who can help make you better. Um, the other I would say definitely is reading. Um, like I said, I've been a huge fan of Lifeway. Uh, there was a store in Owens Mills, Maryland. I will never forget. I was so crushed when the store closed. Uh, yeah. I've been many a Saturday uh, walking through with my, with my little budget for my church I was serving in Baltimore and trying to add to, uh, you know, add to my uh, resources. Um, not only for myself, but for the youth leaders that were serving with me. Uh, we set up a, a little a library in my office so they could check out books. Um, they could check out resources um, and reading just about everything, but not just about ministry. Because if we're going to serve students in a relevant way, you got to be steeped in youth culture. You got to be steeped in music culture. You got to listen to some music that you may not want to have to listen to. I can't stand mumble rap. And that's been like the mm. things I've had to, you know, just that deep dive, do a deep dive into it and listen to it, even though I want to rip my ears off. But if I can listen to it and understand 
some perspective of where a student is coming from, some perspective of what, why the student thinks the way that they do, then that opens up, you know, opens up my eyes. And so, you know, reading definitely too, you know, making sure that you are submerged in their culture. Um, here's, here's, a crazy, here's a crazy thing I do uh, to develop. I mess up. I thought about this, mm. I was getting ready to come on, on here. And I realized how many stupid things I've done in 21 years of student ministry. And how many times I've learned valuable lessons from all of the stupid things that I've done. And sometimes, you know, we, we make mistakes, but sometimes if we're honest, we do stupid things. And you learn from that as well. Um, and the, the last thing I would, would say is I spend time with kids. I spend mm. time with students. I spend time with young people. I make sure that my my day is not always. I I can't sit in the office all day. I just I'm not wired that way. I've got to schedule admin time out, and then the rest of that I got to go find some young people to be around. They should be our lifeline. They should be yeah. they should be our great teachers. Um, I learned I learned more from from them walking around in a Walmart uh, window shopping. There's no windows in Walmart. there's windows in Walmart. <laughs> uh, I learn more from them than I do from, you know, courses or classes or books sometimes because it's in those moments, again, you know, like walking through that neighborhood where they see you and they see that, okay, there's some investment. This person knows the old adage, no one, they won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. So, you know, the lessons that I learned from them, the things that they teach me, uh, about their world, about their space, um, about life in general. You gotta, you know, you gotta share life. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing. COVID has kind of just really frustrated me behind is that we don't get to share life with our young people. I'm, I don't care how many, I don't care how creative you are with Zoom or Instagram Live or any of these other platforms. It does not take the place of, you know, just hanging out with your students. Yeah laughing until there's tears coming down your eyes and then not remembering what you like what you were laughing about um but then two weeks later remembering what you were laughing about and and grabbing a lesson from that like letting that be an actual life moment where you grabbed a lesson from that so um you know i think it's about it's about sharing it's about sharing life and yeah in that process as you share life as you share uh resources as you share skills and talents and gifts you know i think we become some of our greatest teachers and uh, i hope we do a better job at you know connecting those dots so i have a specific question for you uh man i think spending time with teenagers we learn a lot uh we learn about their needs we learn about how to build relationship we learn about how to care for them oftentimes we learn things about how to care for parents or guardians in that situation it, it's hard for us to say we want to reach the home if we're not learning also about the dynamics that exist between teenagers and parents or guardians and however however that fits in any context, right? So I want to ask, I want to get really specific. Uh, LeVar, in the last few months uh, with COVID um, and with what we've seen with uh, racial injustice in the news, uh, we know it's been going on, right? Like, but it's it is heightened in the news and in everyone's faces in this moment uh, with issues of police brutality. I know because I've seen you in social media 
that you've spent a lot of time next to teenagers in ministry during these moments. How has that helped you minister to them in this time? Like, what have you seen? Let me say it this way. By spending time with them in the middle of cultural issues that are happening right now, how, what have you seen that said, I need to minister to them in this way, or this is what they need care around in this moment? Yeah, that's good. Uh, you know, as I've, I've spent time with them, a couple things that have, have stood out. One, helping make sure that they are clear on their identity. Mm. And this is this is, is two ways. This is their identity as believers, but this is also their cultural identity mm. as, as black students. And to sort of have all of that collide at one time, you know, together. And, and to, what's really challenged it is that, and I talked about some of the young people who have transitioned from the club to the church. Yes. Lot, several of these young people are new to the faith. And so now you're trying to have this conversation about who is God to young people who are young in the faith in the middle of situations where they're really asking, where is God? Why does God allow X, Y, Z? Why is this happening? What, how do we process this? And, you know, the biggest thing that I've learned is you've got to give young people the space to figure it we do a disservice to our to our students when we when we when we push so much of ourselves into the answer. So they ask a question and then we put so much of ourselves into the answer. What's helped is that in a situation like this, I'm still trying to struggle and figure out some of the answers myself. As a black man, as a man of faith, I'm still trying to work through my own issues of morality and equality and justice and figuring out how to respond and making sure that my response is, is metered in the love of God, but it's also uh, just for, for people who have not seen justice much at all in this country. Yeah. And so giving young people the space to sometimes have more questions than they have answers mm. and to be okay. That's good. That's good. That, that freaks us out sometimes because sometimes our thing is, you know, we want them to know. We want them to know. We, and they'll know, but it's got to be in their space and in their time. And I think by asking those questions, challenging them to critically think about what it means to be a person of faith, what it means to be a person of color, to, to push them to acknowledge that I might not have an answer right now, but I'm going to keep thinking and I'm going to keep talking. Uh, so one of the one of the things we started during my time at the Boys and Girls Club was this campaign called the Our Lives Matter Team Campaign. It was birthed during the time of the Ferguson uprising after the mm -hmm. murder of Mike Brown, and we created it specifically to address the issue of uh, the relationship of law enforcement between Black students in the Southeast DC community. Well, five years, six years now later that campaign grew into addressing all sorts of issues because we created space for, for students to ask questions. And they started asking questions about 
everything. They started asking questions about educational equity. They started asking questions about uh, racial equity. They started asking questions. We were having some of the conversations a couple of years ago that are now on the national stage because we gave space for young people to ask. We told the adults and we told them, frankly, shut up. Mm. Just like that. And yeah. And it, it freaks us out sometimes because we want so much, I think, for young people to get it, that I gotta, I gotta tell you this thing. I gotta, I gotta share this scripture. I gotta tell this anecdote. When sometimes you just need to be quiet, mm. give them the space to talk, to have the conversation, to ask the questions, to be okay with the weird, awkward silence that's now been going on for six minutes and nobody said anything. <laughs> They're looking at each other across the room like, and then right when you're about to put your foot in your mouth and share that thing that's been in your head, that one student in the corner that you didn't think was going to talk speaks up and says, well, what if we do this? That space breeds solutions. You know, that space breeds ideas. And so I think we've got to do a better job. And we say it so much, but I think we got to, you know, actually for real this time, we got to do a better job at actively listening to our young people, that we're listening to to understand versus listening to uh, respond, that we're okay with our voice not being the main voice, our voice not being the lead voice, that we're okay stepping back, throwing that starter question out there. You know, all the, these great books that we have, that have these starter questions. We need a new book that has questions for right now that allows us to throw a question out and then to step back and to let our young people have those conversations. I learned that in, you know, this sort of crisscross education I've had between youth ministry and youth development work. One of the things that you learn in youth development work is that it is the job of two things. It is the job of the adult to walk alongside the young person as they develop. Mm. That you develop them, but as they develop. Uh, and if you think about it, I, I can't make your, I can't make me, you know, my mentors couldn't make me taller. It wasn't their job to come alongside and force my height development. It was their job to just walk alongside with me as I figured it out. So if I had questions, I had somebody to turn to. But then mm -hmm. the other thing that we learned in youth development is that it's ultimately our job to work ourselves out of the job. At the end of the day, if I haven't raised up young, young people who can't lead, what was I doing all of that time? Yeah. The only way that they get that is that you've got to move out of the way and give them time to think through, critically think through, ask questions, be quiet, silent, all of that. We got to give them space uh, to have those conversations. Well, tell me if I'm misinterpreting this, but I think what I hear you saying is, is, is not just, it's not that you're leaving it at be quiet, but it's that you are forcing maybe too, well, forceful of a word, but but you're encouraging them to move from consumer mindset when they're with you to a participatory mindset. So if we're going to have this conversation, it's not going to be one-sided. I'm going to prompt you and then I'm going to sit here and wait until you think critically about this and interact with it. And then I'm going to let you interact and, and sort through all of these things that pop up in your mind that a lot of times we jump in too quickly to say, okay, push this out, push this out, push this out, and just get here. There's something about the journey of 
helping the student get to that place. So am I right in the way I interpreted that? Perfectly so. The, the, the journey is the best way to describe it. That, that's the beauty. I think that's the beauty of student ministry itself is that, is that journey. And it could be scary, creepy, weird, smelly. <laughs> it could be all of those things, but that's the call. That's the call. That's the work. So here's, here's a question that I have for you specific to all the conversations that are so good that, that we're having right now and, and need to have. How do you, because there are so many voices that aren't waiting for people to, uh, to, to journey through those things by themselves, uh, the, the narrative from multiple directions is being uh, told, right? And, and people are very quickly dismissed based off of which, whichever narrative they decide to, to ascribe to. So as you, uh, as a youth pastor, as a mentor, as a leader of students, uh, are helping to walk them through that journey, how do you help protect from some of that leading in, in either direction um, so that your students have freedom to walk through that. Yeah, no, that's good. I think uh, a part of a part of that is in in my stepping back from participating in the conversation so much. It does put me in a better position to be to be more of a monitor and an observer. You know, so that that whole notion of uh, a man in the home is. Uh, protector, provider, and priest. So that mm -hmm. whole notion of if we look at student pastors having a role, and particularly in you know inner city communities where student pastors are a whole lot more than just the student pastor. Um, if we look at it from that perspective, it does allow me to be more of the protector. And I think the ways to do that one, and I'll use for example, so the young people that lead the Allies Matter campaign. We have a weekly Zoom call where we're discussing issues and we're, we're talking about, you know, educating themselves. That's their first uh, part of their mission. My job in that, you know, because they're bringing all of these sources, they got, they'll go out and they'll find information. My job is to help make sure to teach them. And this is, this is where, you know, the educator in us has to step up to make sure that before we sort of unleash this, unleash them to this amazing space to talk and dialogue that we've taught them uh, a pear is a pear and an apple is an apple. We've taught them how to look at something and be able to rightly divide it. We've taught them how to look at, you know, a news source and know if that, where that news source stands so that you understand the motive of that news source before you even get into the meat of what that news source says, that we've taught them uh, how to be good citizens, that we've taught them how to be responsible, that we've taught them, we've done our part to teach them what it means to be a Christian, to be a believer in the middle of this space. And I think once you've done that, once you've taught them, whatever that set of values is that you have for your young people, whatever that set of values is that you cling to and you've taught them that, if you've done that, then you can stand back with a little bit more confidence that when they get in, to that dialogue, that they're not going to lean to the left. Yeah. They're not going to lean so much to the right because you've done your part of educating them. And I think 
as you educate them, that you also give them the space to ask you the question. You know, to, if, if they don't feel like they can come and ask and dig deeper, then you're gonna, you're gonna miss the, the, the extra layer. That, the education that you give and that you pour out, that's that first layer, but the, the teeth of that thing really come when, when young people know that they can come and they can, they're having that dialogue with you first before they even step into that dialogue space with their peers. And they're asking you the questions to further, you know, figure it out and to understand. And again, as they ask you, sometimes your answer is a question. Again, yeah. to push them to really think back to, you know, what was it we were talking about before? What did we, what did we say before about systemic racism? And how does that impact the question that you're asking me now? That sometimes that they, that they understand me as your mentor, as your pastor, as your leader, as your guide, doesn't mean I'm going to always give you the answer. I'm hardly ever going to give you the answer. I want you to really be able to dig deep and think about, you know, what that answer is for yourself with this set of foundational principles. I love Man, that. I think one of the cool things about that, like on the leader side of things, it's so freeing to have that approach because now you're putting yourself in the place where, yes, I want to give space to, for people to be on their journey and I'm going to be, I'm going to play guide and I'm going to walk alongside here. But it also takes a leader out of the place of the pressure of, I have to have all the answers to every potential question that could ever come up. And I know that as, as a student pastor, like that pressure exists. Like I have to be able to answer every cultural question, every family question, every theology question, like whatever comes my way, I've got to have an answer for it. And the reality is that we don't. And leading the way that you're talking about leading doesn't take our leadership away. It just says, hey, we're in this journey together. And there are some places where I'm going to be your guide. And there are some places where this is going to be a very open conversation filled with questions. And there are some where I'm going to have the freedom to say, I don't know. Yeah. 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 I feel like there's a theme that we've seen too, as we're talking about, because, you know, we've, we've asked you about developing yourself and then we've, because your passion is what it is, we've talked about developing students and across both of those, there seems to be a theme and that is to learn how to think and then think even in the posture that you described and walking through the community and learning the community that you're living in and doing ministry in learn how to think about that community the right way and then think about it and ask the Lord how you're supposed to do what he's called you to do there. And exactly the same thing for the students that we're leading. I think back to, you know, in kindergarten, my teacher used to tell us, all right, I want you to put your thinking caps on. Yeah. You know, and I, I think we, we stuck with that. And, for, and it's so funny, John Paul, as you said that, that's, it's, it's such a simple thing, but it's revolutionary. And I think it speaks to as much as we have modernized as a society, we've also in a lot of ways accepted dumbing down mm-hmm. uh, this notion of being a critical thinking believer that my brain and my faith can't exist in the same space. They very much so can. And they need to, particularly when you're leading in ministry, 
uh, and we want we want young people to be able to critically think. One of my pet peeves is I don't know. Let's don't no. Let's not go over. And my and some of my students they know it, and they'll see you know my eye jump or something. <laughs> you know, but I don't know. But no, that's not the response I want. And even if you don't know, the the response is well, the response is a question. The response is never I don't know. The response is always a question. If I don't know. Let me ask the right question mm. so that I can know. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, we have to we have to live our lives that way. Um, and I think student ministry pastors are the greatest people in the world to be critical thinkers because you know we're put in situations where you know you've got no budget, little budget, um, no space, little space, no t- no students, little students. We always have to be in a space where we got to think critically about how I'm going to make this work. You know, pastor's yeah. asking you for 20 students and you're looking at two and it's like, okay, uh, <laughs> red and fish multiplied. <laughs> you know, so we, we, we've always been critical thinkers. We've always had to do it. And I think as we modernize, as we, you know, we're in this Twitter age and everything's on 240 characters and you know, all these other things that minimize our or simplify things for us. Sometimes it needs to be challenging and difficult and scary and, ang- and you know, filled with anxiety. It's got to be that. And I think, you know, Ben, to your question, the, the last few months have been all of those things. Uh, it's been, there have been moments where we've had to just sit as a group and you know, there's that silence. Mm. In that silence, there are tears, and there's anger, and there's hopelessness, and there's all of these other things floating around in the room. But once you're in, again, I talk about sharing that space, and I use a lot of cultural references. I was a big fan of The Simpsons. I used to collect the DVD series. I think I yes. I think I stopped at like season sixteen. They're like season a thousand now. Um, but if you remember the episode of The Simpsons where it was the Treehouse of Horror episode and the, um, the billboards and all the things, they, they came to life and they were trying to, to fight and destroy the people. And Lisa and this music, musician made up a jingle that said, just don't look, just don't look. And the whole notion was, if you don't pay attention to them, then they'll just die and fade off. And so sometimes in that space, you know, the last couple of months where we had hopelessness and tears and stuff floating in our space, we'll just kind of just hang out in that space. And that's a, that's a vulnerability that does not come easy uh, for young people themselves and for young people to allow adults to see them in. Yeah. Because they, you know, they want to keep this the facade, the mask, whether it's because of their upbringing in the church, whether it's something else, but they want, they, it's, it's challenging for them to let you in in general, but definitely to let you in into a vulnerable space. And so there have been times in the last few months where we've just kind of sat as a group and we didn't look. We didn't look at the hopelessness. We didn't look at the tears, but we just sort of sat in that space um, and allowed those questions that we asked to push us towards creating solutions, you know? So I think we gotta, we, gotta, we gotta tap into more of that with our young people so that they, they let that guard down. And when they do, not only do they let it down for us, but they see it in, this, they see it in themselves. 
and in that, you know, those vulnerable moments, those safe, those, that's sacred. That's a sacred space. And it's in that space that God does great work because everybody's hearts are sort of softened and tuned and turned to him in a way that it, they haven't been before. That's what, that's what this nation needs. This nation needs some critical thinking moments, yeah. some quiet moments yeah. that soften our hearts, that turn our hearts back to him. You know, so that we can see the type of change that we really need to see. Yeah, man. LeVar, I want to say thank you uh, for being on today, for pouring into us and into student pastors that listen to this podcast. Um, you came in and crushed it, my friend. <laughs> this was good. This was, um, this was healing, I think, for everybody. This was good for me. You know, we, we got to have more of these. We can't allow... We can't allow those, those, you know, John Paul, you were talking about those folks that are, you know, coming in from every angle. We can't allow them to stop the conversations that have started, you know, within the last few months about, about everything, not even just right. about, you know, racial equality, you know, just about everything. The church is different than it was five months ago. It's, it's different. Yeah. We can't, we can't allow ourselves to, to rewind. So it's been my pleasure to just hang out and you guys have helped me think through some things as well. So. Man, well, like I said, you've you poured into us and you've poured into our audience and forever grateful for that. Uh, you know, one of the things that LeVar mentioned uh, that he does in order to continue developing himself is put himself around people that know his context that are also in student ministry. Uh, and one of the ways that we at LifeWay students want to help you do that is uh, through Youth Ministry Booster. Uh, LeVar's a member. Uh, of Youth Ministry Booster, and through that has the opportunity to be a part of mastermind groups, which puts groups of student pastors together uh, to develop each other, pour into each other, both in the practical skills of student ministry, but also some of the philosophy and things that we've talked about today, to be able to have a safe environment to throw ideas around. So you can find out more about Youth Ministry Booster at Youth Ministry Booster. Dot com, and this has been another episode of the LifeWay Student Ministry Podcast. We'll see you next time.